The real estate world is changing. Opportunity is everywhere. It has never been so easy to connect, share, and bring people together. We're learning from others and finding the very best in ourselves. Challenging our beliefs, overcoming our fears, transforming ourselves so we can transform our business. This is Investor Creator. All right. What is up, everybody? Brad here with another episode of Tuesday Morning Coffee. I had to get those those next two sips in. <laughs> so I had had my mojo this morning. Had the mojo. You know, we gotta, it's all about the mojo. So I, let me introduce Tone, the mojo, Woodall. Oh, mojo. Big Tony. Good morning. How you doing? I'm pretty good. I, th- I feel like we've been so busy, me and you haven't even been able to, I, to talk. It morning. has been a while. Yeah. We haven't talked this morning. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> That's true. Tony came in. We were having a purchase team meeting, uh, me, James, and and Kevin. And uh, Tony came in and said, "Oh, you know, are are, uh, are you on the line there?" And he, he jumped in and said, "Which one of these these here are you buying from an aerial view?" And I'm like, "Tony, I don't know. We just know the numbers. We're just we're just trying to buy a house. You can't here. tell the top of a roof of a house of your buying from the other seventeen houses in that farmland." Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, we, we do the best we can. That's right. We do the best we can. So um, one little housekeeping item, guys, I, I do believe here shortly, we're going to have a new, a new studio, a new office. Oh, what will we do? I love, I love though, the, the brick, uh, all the brick office here. We'll never be able to reproduce that. Never, never. You know, it, it, this is, we, we think from the 1700s, from the early 1700s. You know, so uh, I think, Hopefully, we, we come up with something cool. I think that we will. That's right. You know, it's all about the whole audience here and making something that is visibly interesting for them. That's right. Because we need all the help we can get. We need all. I was going to say, because there's not much else visibly interesting on this well, camera. I, I don't know. I, today, I'm, I'm kind of looking like uh, last year's Easter egg. You did. I mean, I, I told James and those guys this morning that I feel really underdressed. I've come in this morning. You dress like Joel Osteen. Well, you know, I hope I'm as happy as that guy. I've never in my life seen a happier individual than Joel Osteen. He is one happy fella. He's, man, I, I think my face would hurt smiling that head. It, it sounds like he owns Houston, Texas now. So, Well, I, hey, he's he's helped a lot of people. and uh, He has. You know, so that that's a good thing. That's a good thing. So new office, I do want to go over the Apprentice Spotlight today. We have McKinley. So McKinley, seven hours ago in the Facebook group, said, finally was able to close my first real estate deal for the year, but I can't help uh, but feeling excited and extremely scared at the same time. And that mm-hmm. is how it goes. Mm-hmm. That is how it goes. Thank you, Brad Smotherman, Keith Gillespie, Rachel Wilson, and Shane and the group for the support. Wouldn't be able to pull the trigger without it. Halftime is over. Time to close out completely. I'll share some of the lessons learned that I had with this deal on both acquisition side and the exit. When I do the exit, mistakes were made. That's spoken like a true engineer. Yes, correct. So (laughs) mistakes were made. And I mean, look, I don't think that there's anybody's first deal that they can say went picture perfect. That's right. You know, but McKinley had really struggled for a while. And this is a good thing to see. And I will say, like, even in my entire career, my best deal in my career is still my first deal Mm. because it it gave me the confidence to say, I am an investor. I can do this business. 
and also to to shut up some of the naysayers right. that were so so loud. Oh, very loud. How yeah. much do you do you remember? What'd you make on your first deal? Thirty seven thousand. Thirty seven thousand. Twenty thousand in cash uh-huh. and seventeen thousand in note. That's and right. I think the note paid four hundred thirty six a month. That's right. I made twelve thousand on my first deal, and I found it on Craigslist, and uh, and put it right back on the market. Used the same, really just copied and pasted this exact same thing I saw when I first saw the property on Craigslist. Put it right back on the market for a little, some more and made 12000 But boy, it does. It, what it gets you is confidence. Was that the one that you sold to that NFL player? Yes. Okay. Yeah, sure did. That's funny. I, you know, it's kind of crazy. I left the title company after closing on it and selling him the house. And I'm driving back through Lebanon, and I look over at the high school football stadium as I'm passing it, and it is named after him. Now, that was just coincidence, wasn't it? <laughs> the high school football stadium is named after him. All right. So, so guys, like, here's the deal. Tony is really like Forrest Gump. Okay? And the reason that that <laughs> so is... So many ways. <laughs> so, both from Alabama, okay? Both are fast runners. But you know how, like, Forrest Gump was always in the middle of everything? He's in the middle of Watergate. He's in the middle of... <laughs> Vietnam, he's like, and it's been a long time since I've seen that movie, but he he was like all these cultural events, uh, like when Margaritaville Hotel started, Tony was there with Jimmy Buffett, that. you know, like all these things. Like you're just, I'm I'm glad that we have such a historical figure with us today. Uh, I don't know about historical, hysterical, maybe. No, <laughs> yeah, it depends on <laughs> what's going on. Uh, I believe I I've always believed in big magic. Yeah, yeah, and that. If you'll just be open, like things will happen, unexpected things will happen. Yeah. You know, and I remember the time I read the, the story, this guy, he, he was writing and he said, you know, if you plant one apple seed, you'll get one apple tree. And that's like the return on your investment immediately. That's what you can't imagine. Yeah. But what you couldn't have imagined that one apple tree would have hundreds of apples that would all drop to the ground spill out multiple seeds into the dirt. And and what you were really doing when you planted that one seed was you were planting an orchard. Yeah. You have to always be open to the big magic that's beyond what you can ask or imagine. You, you just never know what can happen. And I think both of us can say that we've had yeah. big magic at times just show uh, up and we're like, man, how did that happen? You know? <laughs> cool. So I want to go through the deal of the day today. We're at two contracts for the month. It's the third. Okay. And I do believe uh, James said that we'll have four, he thinks, by end of day. Mm-hmm. We were talking about. And they were good ones. Yeah. Everything looks really good. One, we're going to talk about the first contract of the month. We're going to talk about a little bit later. The second one is what we're talking about <laughs> right now, which is uh, Tracy City. So it looks like ARV is in the 175-ish range. Maybe it's 150. I don't know. Guys, like we bought it so cheap, it really didn't even matter like what we paid for it. Yeah, we really should be buying so cheap that we can do conservative numbers on our ARV and it still be a good deal. Yeah. But like on this one, it was like we bought it so cheap, the ARV really doesn't matter. So I don't know if it's 150 or 200. It could be 200, Mm -hmm. but we bought it for 30. So it's like, and it needs a little bit of work, but not like serious amount of work. I mean, we could owner finance it the way it is. Mm -hmm. So then it comes down to, well, are we going to owner finance it or are we going to take it retail? Mm -hmm. Well, we'll see. We'll see. I think we've got. Amanda's finishing up so many houses right now. I think we've got 11 or 12 that are about to hit the retail market. And so, and here's one of the things like I've been asked a a few times recently, are we seeing any type of a a shutter in the market? 
and my answer right now is like, we have such low inventory on the exit side right now that I don't think I would know. But whenever these 11 or 12 hit the retail market here in the next two weeks, right? I know we had one list yesterday that was uh, Forest Morristown. Oh yeah, four. Which had heavy substance abuse, which is one of the things right. we we'll talk about today with health and safety. We had that one list yesterday. We had Memphis, Cleary Memphis list today or it's going to be listed today. So we have a lot of inventory that's about to hit. And so whenever you have inventory really spread out across a region, then I think you have a pretty good finger on the pulse of what's uh-huh. going on. Uh-huh. And so I, I will say we have one listing that's not showing very well, but everything else has been, or it just pins like that. Right. Even still, you know, the the market has has changed on the mortgage side, but we're not seeing those rates really affect buyers right now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I spent a good bit of time over the last three days with, Without a doubt, one of the most successful long-term real estate investors here in Murfreesboro, yeah. which, you know, we kind of forget sometimes. It's easy when you live here that it has been the fastest growing small city in America, like 10 out of the last 25 years. Mm. And it hasn't gotten far out of the top five during those other years. Right. And so, and he said, oh, he doesn't think, you know, that interest rates are going to affect what's happening here because we still are so uh, low in supply. Yeah. That, that we're going to continue to see houses get gobbled up. Yeah. You know? and, and real estate is a local game. So even if there's a national number that may be detrimental to the national real estate market, that doesn't mean anything for where you are. It may or may not. Mm-hmm. So even during the collapse of 08, you know, you had markets where like in North Dakota, where they were doing fracking and that kind of thing, uh-huh. where you'd have boomtown. Right. You know, and overnight they were, they had these big lights and they were building these subdivisions out because there's no inventory. Mm. No, that was during the worst of the real estate market. So, you know, it, it's all local. You know, we just have to, to understand kind of where we are. So deal of the day, Tracy City, we were happy to pick that one up. First quarter of this year, we really, because of Ukraine, we were conservative with purchasing. I'm feeling pretty good. Like, I, I think we're, we're going to have a 15 to 20 purchase month this month, mm-hmm. something like that, which is where we were, you know, like we've done that before. But so I'm I'm, I, I didn't tell you ahead of time. I was going to ask this question. It's yeah. kind of put you on the spot. So okay. if you don't want to answer, just don't. Just tell me but, you know, a, a conservative quarter. Yeah. Like the first quarter. Can you give a general idea of what we might have captured in equity? Probably around half a million a month. So about half of what's typical. OK. That's not we're, bad. Running there. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're not like it's all perspective. I mean, yeah. there was a time before. You know, six years ago, we were having a hard time imagining oh, yeah. a half a million a month. Yeah. So. Yeah. Scale happens fast, guys. Like whenever you get things dialed in, growth happens fast. So yeah. cool. So Tuesday morning coffee, the past three episodes, we've been talking about the big five mm-hmm. or past two episodes. We've been talking about the big five motivators. Guys, a, a vast majority of our transactions come from one of these five motivators and they are pre-foreclosure, inheritance, divorce, tired landlords, health and safety. And so we've talked about pre-foreclosure week one. Last week, we talked about divorce. Today, we're talking about health and safety. And so I guess the first thing that we really need to do is define what this means. And so when we talk about health and safety, we're talking about really a group of different things. So, I mean, the most obvious health issues, certainly, you know, and those could be terminal or non-terminal. Sometimes we're talking about mental health, which could be like something that is really like like a mental health issue that has a title. Sometimes we're talking about such a stressful situation that it's kind of outside of the other big five, but it's such a stressful situation that 
we have someone that's so motivated that would fall into health and safety because someone is so stressed out that they don't want it to become a health issue. But then when it comes to safety, we're generally talking, and let me go back to health. Also substance abuse. No doubt. Is is a health. No doubt. Is a health issue. Mm -hmm. Okay. The house that we're talking about, Forest Drive, Morristown, Morristown, was one of the worst substance abuse situations that I've ever seen. Because during the home inspection specifically, you actually had people passed out on the floor in photographs mm-hmm. in the home inspection report. Mm-hmm. And I've never seen anything like that. We've had houses where there were needles, no yeah. doubt, yeah. but we've never had it this bad. Mm-hmm. And so you're going to have that. But whenever we talk about safety, that's different. That's different. And so we're talking about abuse situations. And so the second deal of the day is one we bought yesterday where it was an elder abuse situation. And abuse situations, I mean, these are some of my favorite deals because of the impact that we make so quickly. Yeah. You know, you take someone that's in an abuse situation to out of that abuse situation and the value that you give them by taking them out of that, it's super impactful for people. And so this situation specifically, older lady, she bought the house cash. And uh, she has her daughter and son-in-law living with her. And so she reached out to James and said, you know, hey, my daughter gets in my face. My son-in-law punches the walls. I'm scared for my safety here. And you think about like how terrible that is. And so her solution to this, and although we, we try to go through solutions with people, is there someone that can help you get them out? Can you call the police? You know, what can you do? Because we don't have to buy the house. Right. But it's also a situation where we want to help them in the way that they feel is best. And she felt like, hey, I just want to sell the house. They're your problem now, which we're good with. Okay. The first situation that I ever really ran into this, it was two different things happening really in the same deal that I thought was really interesting. So lady called internet lead and she said, hey, you know, I'm interested in selling the house. We went through triage. Triage was good. I went to the house personally. This was when I was still out buying. This was over in Barfield area. So there's that Cape Cod oh, style yeah. vinyl house. Uh-huh. So went on the perfect presentation and going through the house, there was a bedroom that was shut. And I said, can we look in here? And she said, well, I'd, I'd rather you not. I said, you, you'd rather I didn't. Interesting. Tell me about that. She said, well, it's kind of a mess. And I said, well, it's no problem. I've seen some houses you, you wouldn't believe. She said, well, there, there's holes in the wall. I said, okay, there's holes in the wall. And at this point, she's she's getting teary. She okay. said, my son has an anger problem. I said, okay. you know. And at this point, it's just one room. Even if it's the worst calamity ever mm-hmm. in that room, there's only so much that could be affected because mm-hmm. the rest of the house is really nice. Right. And so I said, if you don't want me to go in, I understand. It's 100% your call. And she said, well, I guess, I guess you can. I said, okay. Are you sure? Yeah, I guess you can. I was like, went in. There were some holes in the wall. It really wasn't that bad. And so we get to the kitchen table. So I, I really want to close at the kitchen table if I can. So it's me and her. And so I go through, you know, perfect presentation, you know, and we get to a walkaway number that is reasonable that I'm happy with. And she said, before I sign this, there's one more thing that we have to negotiate. And I'm like, I was kind of taken back by that. Yeah. You know, it's like, well, what could this possibly be? She said, um, this is a three bedroom house. And my son is, it was like 30 years old. I was actually the same age as her son mm. uh, at the time. And he comes with the house. This is a three-bedroom house. I'm moving to a two-bedroom apartment. He stays. So he's out of town. Next week, I'd like to close while he's gone. I said, no problem. 
And I was happy. Yeah. Happy to do that. Yeah. Okay. The second thing that happened that was really interesting was uh, mm. after she had signed the paperwork, she said, hey, I have this document that shows uh, some pictures of the house, and I think it has the value. It, it was an appraisal that I had done about 18 months ago. Uh -huh. And so I said, sure, I'd love to see it. The appraisal showed that it was 600 square feet bigger than what I thought it was yeah. on tax record because the bonus room and one bedroom up above the, the, the house wasn't included. I'm just sitting here thinking about all the houses are going through my head that when we walked in, there are holes, a lot of holes in interior doors where doors have been slammed. People yeah. are trying to get in there. I mean, you can just tell there's so much anger, so much fear in a lot of these houses, unfortunately. But boy, they are so relieved to get out of that situation. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So how do you feel it's best to to navigate this with a seller that you think is in an abuse situation, but maybe they haven't really come out and said it. So like we've gone through a lot of houses where there's a, a hole in the wall that's about shoulder height. We suspect pretty strongly what that is, mm -hmm. but like, how do you feel it's best for maybe a new investor to go through that situation with someone? I mean, you have to be careful for them, especially if there are other family members in the house that are, you know, if they hear that person telling someone else, that could be very bad for them when they leave. Yeah. You just have to ask them if there's anything you think it would be helpful for me to know. You can either tell me now or you can call me later and make sure they've got your phone number. You know, you know, it would be strictly confidential and you have to use confidential in order to let them know that they can share with you. But then you cannot break that confidentiality without their permission. If they come and tell you something like that, you have to ask them for their permission to share that unless you feel like this is so life threatening that you just need to do that. If it has to do with children. Yeah. Have you ever been in a house where you felt like the situation could be dire? Mm -hmm. So I don't remember one personally that I thought specifically um, was. Uh, and it wasn't because it wasn't because someone else was going to hurt them. I was afraid that she was going to hurt herself. Scotty Parker Road. Is that the name of it? White House? Yeah. No, well, it was Portland. Portland. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I was afraid she was going to hurt herself. Really? Uh -huh. Even at the closing, it was closed at a bank. I remember this, yeah. Yeah, her bank. And if the banker had not known her and known she was crying so hard and was so upset, the banker went through with it because she just knew the kind of position she was in and how this somehow was going to relieve her from it. So her ex, who left with a good friend of hers kept coming back because he had a key kept coming back at night and would walk around in the house and would sit around and do things while she was trying, she was in her room. She'd lock herself in her room kind of thing. And she was afraid of that. But the main thing was she was, I was just afraid she was going to hurt herself. And it took a while, even after she sold the house to us for her to let it go. Yeah. Well, I remember this situation specifically because Tony called me and said that was the worst closing I've ever had. Mm. And that's saying a lot when you transact the, at like pretty decent numbers. Yeah. And back then, you know, because most of our stuff was in Tennessee at that time and we closed primarily with one title company, which yeah. was south of Nashville. Right. And we'd have a lot in East Tennessee and West Tennessee and north of Nashville. We didn't ask them to all go down to Nolansville. Right. And so I would go with the docks and close them myself at a, at their bank or at our bank or anybody with a notary 
And so sometimes you would just, you, I, I saw a lot of them that were people cried or wept at because yeah. it was their home. Right. But I didn't, this was one of the few that was just a little scary. Yeah. And so the situation on this one was she was pre foreclosure. She mm -hmm. reached out to us and the foreclosure sale was either the day after closing or the, the two days after closing or something like that. Right. We got a payoff statement and the HUD, it was actually Rudy that did the the, the work okay. on this one. Okay. But it's kind of the same thing. We had to, to do the notary ourselves because Nashville to Portland's quite a, quite a track. Right. So Tony went up there with the docs. So it's not like we created the HUD. Well, the payoff was more than what she thought it was going to be. And so because of that, she oh, yeah. thought that she was due the same amount of net in her pocket, even though the payoff was more. And that was kind of the straw that broke the camel's back for her. Yeah. She just wasn't getting as much. She already had so done. much on her. And now this, you know, she felt like she'd lost everything. Yeah. And, and that makes sense. And we want to be empathetic with people. But she wasn't very nice mm -hmm. and said that we were scamming and all this stuff. And so I remember I called her and I said, hey, you know, and she was she wasn't nice to me, but she wasn't overly nasty, you know. And I, I remember I said, hey, you know, Tony said that you're unhappy with the deal. So, um, like, here's what we'll do. Like, we still have the, the paperwork. We have the deed. If you want to meet and give us a check back, then we'll give you the paperwork back. Right. And you can sell to whoever you want to. You know, because it was kind of the same thing. Like, we'd close, but if you're going to, like, start to say that we've been unfair, hey, but go find someone that's more fair. Yeah, the issue was not, it really wasn't, she didn't want to give the money back. Right. She just wanted more. And so when she realized that we were willing to give her the money back. Yeah. And this was all that was going to be. Right. She took the money. Yeah. Yeah. I, I didn't realize that that was uh, a situation like that. Oh, she would call late at night. Of course, this is back when I, you know, give my personal phone number out to everybody, their grandmother, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, she would call late at night and threatened to take her own life. You know, it was not fun. Yeah. That, that is tough. That is tough. I remember specifically a situation that I had in either Lewisburg or Lawrence, one of these real small country towns. And they were like, Oh yeah, it needs like 10 K worth of work. Like the place was basically like a redone bar and there were children in the house and like, we're not ones to get into people's business. I don't care how people live, you know, like if you want to live in a, in terrible conditions, that's fine with me, you know, but there were children in the house and they would come up to me and ask for food and they were dirty and kids get dirty. Like there's a 50, 50 chance on Saturday that my son looks a complete mess. Cause he's three years old and he likes to play in the mud. Yeah. You know what I mean? But this was a little bit different, yeah. you know? And I remember that was the first time that I ever called DCS, uh -huh. you know? And uh, I'm not one for government intervention. I'm not one to tattle or anything like that. But, you know, those children didn't ask to be there. Oh, no. no. You know, where the adults, you don't want to eat for a week. That's fine with me. Yeah. You know, even even health, I think of how the people who were in Juno Bargerton were living. Yeah. I mean, we've talked about that before on podcasts. Right. I mean, I cannot believe there were kids living in that house. That's just unbelievable. And uh, it's the worst house that we've ever bought. Worst house. Never seen anything like it. Toilets wouldn't work. So they were going to the bathroom in the tubs. Yeah. I mean, it was just terrible. And then I think about Alpine as an elderly couple there. And um, Greenville. Yeah. In yeah. Greenville. 
and they had a tree and a big, big storm fall into their kitchen roof. And there was a hole in the kitchen, probably five feet by five feet. And so it was just raining in there and they couldn't do anything about it. Didn't have any family members that lived close by. And so they bought a plastic swimming pool, kiddie pool, yeah. and put it in the, in the floor. And by the time we kitchen floor to catch the rain, and by the time we got, I got there the first time to look at it, it was full of tadpoles. No kidding. That's how long I've been there. Frogs were, were all in that house. And there were two dead animals that had just been placed in dresser drawers. Like house pets. Pets, yeah. When they passed away. I mean, I mean it was just the saddest thing. A neighbors would, came across the street and said, we had no idea because it took us like eight or so dumpsters yeah. to clean it out. I mean, it was. Well, I remember our cleanout crew who's done a ton of houses called you. And I think that was the first one that they've gotten sick at. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I think one of the interesting things is that these people, you know, they'd passed away, but yes. their family, they weren't local. Right. Mm -hmm. And so they came there and they couldn't believe. Yeah. They just were so upset with themselves that they didn't know. Yeah. And they were good people. I mean, it was actually a daughter who called us, you know, who sent the lead in. Right. And she was, she was embarrassed. She was, she said, you know, nobody knew anything. We had no idea. Yeah. So, and, and I think part of that just kind of happens as you get older. You know, I know, I remember with my great uncle Ellis and me and uncle Ellis are very, very, very close. But whenever he, he passed, well, he, he passed first <laughs> and aunt Jean, which is grand sister, she mentally declined quickly. She almost couldn't understand that he passed. And I remember when he passed, we went to the hospital and she'd said something terrible's happened, but nobody will tell me why. You know, well, they've been together since they were 15 years old, got married when they were 16 and now they're in their eighties, you know, but we had to, to, it was uncle Z took aunt Jean to assisted living. And I remember, you know, we helped with, with the house whenever that happened and they weren't in terrible condition, but certainly not what they would have lived in yeah. had they been healthy. Right. You know, and we found out that that Aunt Jean had been sick for a while and uh, Uncle Ellis was just doing his best to, to take care of her. You know, mm -hmm. and the house just kind of went to the wayside. And so I think that that's just kind of what happened. So you're going to have situations like that specific deal in Greenville where you had really good people, that these were not messy people historically. Yeah, that's right. And they just were doing the best that they could and it just kind of fell, fell away from mm -hmm. them, you know. Mm -hmm. At what point do you feel like it's appropriate in a health and safety situation to reach out for additional help. If there are kids involved, probably children, the elderly, mm -hmm. I, I would say if a weaker person in a home is afraid, I don't always, you know, but I think if a, the weaker person in a home is afraid, if there's a bully in there and there's just a lot of fear and there are bruises and signs of things, yeah. I mean, holes in walls and, I mean, it's, it is something, but I mean, probably the issue with children, probably a legal issue. If you know something that you are not making authorities aware of, that's probably a legal issue. Yeah. And it should be. And I mean, even worse, an ethical one. I remember we've had houses that me and you've gone to and we see a padlock on the outside of the door. Mm -hmm. A where, bedroom door. Yeah. Where they're locking someone in. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and it can be a tough thing, guys. I mean, I feel like this is such a heavy podcast. It is. It is. It is. 
don't let me forget. I've got a question to ask on something else before we quit, but yeah, it can be. And you know, we're not buying them as much in person anymore. Right. And so they're probably going to be things that slip by that we'll never even know about things they won't tell, but you've got to be, if you're on the phone with someone you need to, and something you hang that phone up and there's something in you, it says something's not right. You just need to pay attention to it. Yeah. You can't be the savior to the world, but there's some things that we need to be aware of just as human beings, forget being a real estate investor as a second. If this stuff was going on two doors down from us and we knew something or we felt like something was there, we'd probably do something about it. Correct. So just as being good human beings on the planet, good neighbors, we just need to be aware that when we get a check, you know, my little Methodist grandmother used to say, when you get a check in your spirit, <laughs> when you when something makes you aware that something's not right here, you need to listen to it. You need to listen to it. I'd rather be wrong and say I'm sorry. Yeah, correct. Than to do nothing and wish I had. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. I think the most impactful thing for me that you said was, you know, basically when you're in conversation with someone, like, hey, if, if there's anything we need to talk about, if there's anything I need to know, you know, we can do that now, or you can call me later. Yeah, and you can't ask them in front of other people. Yeah. Because yeah. that's going to make it rough on them when the, when you leave. Yeah. Oh, well, for sure. Yeah. For sure. And that makes sense. The last thing for me, and then I want to get to the question that you yeah. have. We do well in this business, you know, but you can do good at the same time. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we make an income, yes, but we can also make a good impact on people mm-hmm. and a good impact on communities. Mm-hmm. So sometimes we're a little bit late, like the, the deal in Greenville where these people had already passed away. We wish that we'd seen that situation and gotten them help sooner. Right. But we were able to help. Mm-hmm. All of the heirs in that situation. This yeah. is a good neighborhood. It is a good and neighborhood. So all of the neighbors. In oh, they did had no idea what was going on inside the house. Yeah. And we're concerned, uh-huh. you know, and so that just shows that they had great neighbors. But you can make an income in the business, but you can also make an impact. Yeah. And so that's long term, short term. If you're broke, the income matters, you know, but longer term from a <laughs> legacy perspective, we're probably going to think about the people that we help as opposed to the checks we made. Yeah. I mean, and just remember too, especially most of these, not most, but a lot of these are coupled with other problems. So we find if the house is in this kind of shape, there's a good chance it's a pre-foreclosure too. And so what is the other result? The other result is we're not able to financially help anybody in that family. A bank's going to take it and they're not going to ask any questions about if there's any kind of abuse going on. So you're a much better option for that family than a bank is. 100%. 100%. All right. We're, we're going to close that for today. You got a, a question. I did. Th- uh, I've had three questions from new apprentices this past week, all the same question about memorandums. Okay. So can an individual investor just in their name uh, who's go down and record a memorandum on a contract on a piece of property they purchased? Yeah, 100%. Okay. So you don't have to have an LLC. They don't no. have to be in a trust. No, it doesn't matter how it's... If they're buying the house in an LLC or a trust, is it done, the memorandum in the LLC or the trust? Yes. Okay. Whoever names on the contract. Okay. Good. Thank you. Is that it? That's it. Yeah. Guys, like one thing with memorandum. So for those that don't know, memorandum clouds title. So if we have an agreement to buy something, then we do a call, what's called a memorandum of contract. It's a one-sided affidavit. And so what that means is the seller doesn't have to sign it. We sign it that we have a, a... valid contract to buy. Mm -hmm. And then that is recorded against title. And so whenever that's recorded against title, if another title company pulls title with another buyer, 
then they're going to see that this is recorded. That's right. So they okay. have to do they have to come back and do diligence with you before they can sell it to anybody else. Generally correct. Okay. Generally correct. So there are, are exceptions. There are some rogue title companies that will close over a memorandum. I've never seen that litigated, but I have heard of that. Mm-hmm. So, but like 99% of the time, that memorandum is going to stop the sale from happening to someone else. And then they have to call you and, and deal with you again. Okay. Okay. So it's an SOP for us to, when we get a contract to file a memorandum uh-huh. and we do that with simply file It's S I M P L I F I L E. And so that's a, a digital way that you don't have to have your attorney or title company file the memorandum. You can do it. It's like 20 or 30 bucks per memorandum. Was there like one that. involved with the guys who were paid a hundred grand just to get out of a contract? Yeah, they had a memorandum. Yeah, they had the memorandum. That memorandum made them a hundred thousand in cash yeah. without a doubt. Yeah. You know? And you know what? You did the work on this contract and you deserve to be a part of the proceeds. So nothing about that you need to feel guilty about. No. So guys, a contract to buy is not an option to sell. You know what I mean? So like some sellers think like, oh, well, you know, I've changed my mind. It's not an option for them to force you to buy it. They've right. agreed to sell it and you've agreed to buy it. Uh-huh. So we want to be fair on our side without mm-hmm. a doubt and and do what we say we're going to do. But we also want to hold people to their word right. as well. And so like I don't march everybody into court if they decide to default, but I do follow the memorandum. And in most states, depends on the state, Georgia is a lot different than Tennessee. But like in Tennessee, these memorandums have a 10-year life. So if they, they try to sell it nine years from now, I've got nine years of appreciation. So it's a nice investment for the 30 bucks to sit there and accrue. And then that's you right. do have the option to buy it. That is right. So pretty good little deal. Uh, guys, I think that's it for us today. Appreciate you being with us. If you need anything, reach out. Support at bradsmotherman.com. And we'll call it a day. We'll see you next week.